Women today. Faster, my good afternoon. It's six minutes past two. I'm Christy Dehaven, and for the next hour, you are very welcome to join myself and my studio guest on the Conister Rock, where today we're going to be hearing the music and memori- memories of a bona fide Guinness World Record holder. I'm very excited about this. The only woman to ever stand on the top step of the mountain course podium, an achievement which earned her the title of Queen of the Mountain. Carolyn Sells, it is lovely to have you with us. Thank you very much for joining us this afternoon. Um, I wonder, first of all, how much does it actually matter to you that uh, you are a female racer? And do you ever refer to yourself as a female racer or do you just call yourself a racer? Um, I always just call myself a racer, to be honest. Um, uh, But obviously, when I talk about the win at the Manx, I have to say I'm the only woman to ever win a race. So, because it is important. But when I was racing, I, uh, you know, didn't matter what gender I was. It was just like once once I had my helmet on, that was it. I was just going to race everybody and do as well as I could. <laughs> so do you ever feel, because obviously, the, you know, there aren't that many women who get into racing and I'm sure there's all kinds of reasons for it. But do you ever do you ever sort of feel like a sense of duty to promote the sport to other women? Um, not necessarily, because I don't think it is for all women. Um, but... Any women that I, I know want to do it or show any interest in do it, I'll encourage them as much as I possibly can and help them as much as I possibly can. But I don't feel like it's my duty to get women involved, to be honest, because I don't think it is for all women. <laughs> well, it's interesting because I, I actually was saying to Stu before, I, I read um, uh, an interview you did not too long ago online, a, a, a website interview. And in it, I think they, they'd said something to you about being a woman racer and encouraging women. And, and I love what you said because you said you have to be a particular type of person, regardless of whether you're a, a guy or a girl, to get into racing and certainly to do the, the TT circuit because it's it does take a particular type of human, doesn't it, to do something like that? It absolutely does, you know, and there are lots of people that come here and think that they want to race here and then when they get out there, they realise it's not for them and, you know, it's the same for men and women. You know, it isn't for everybody, you know, it is, <clears throat> you do have to be a particular kind of person, you know. And Definitely. you are clearly that, <laughs> which is good. I try. We're go, going back then, we're going to go all the way back now, because you grew up in, and I quote, in Muchhool, Longton and Bretherton, yes. which makes me sound a bit like a train <laughs> announcer. Uh, I could be wrong, but they do sound like quite small places and not very fast. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, they are small villages, actually. Um, Dan Cooper, who races in the Manx, uh, well, is graduating to TT this year. He's from Muchill as well. Um, uh, and then, yeah, I lived there for a few years when I was little. Then we went to Longton and then we went to Brotherton. But yeah, they're all small villages, lots of twisty, windy roads in between, which is where I learned how to ride motorbikes, really. <laughs> Amazing. And that kind of started, didn't it, when you were you were sort of five or six, because you say that your dad was racing bikes from, from that age. And I love the way you described it when you sent us the information, because it's made it sound like such an exciting life, because you travelled from circuit to circuit with him, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, we did. We used to go in convoys on the motorways and this is like seven, the 1970s you know so there wasn't that many a bit like Withnail and I you know the <laughs> motorways are half empty so we used to travel in little convoys and go to different race meetings with people and meet lots of new people you know all over all over England really so it was, yeah it was a great way to grow up. And were you ever scared for him? Because obviously you would no. see him going out there and, and being super fast on his bike. No, no, we used to sit at the side of the circuit. I mean, in those days, uh, the safety was a lot 
more lax, shall we say. And we used to sit right on the edge of the circuit with our legs over the bank, you know, waiting for our dads to finish and literally like a couple of feet away from us. And then they'd come and pick us up and we'd jump on the back of the motorbike and go back up to the paddock on the back of the bike, you know, from the circuit. You know, you used to be able to do things like that in the 70s. You can't do that now. No, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I wonder as well uh, what your mum thought about it because there was at one stage, am I right in thinking, there were three members of a family all doing the, the Manx Grand Prix at yeah, one time. Yeah, 2003 was the first year me and my brother did it. And we were both newcomers and my dad had been doing it for 18 years, I think, at that point. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, but my mum's very laid back, you know. She doesn't let things phase her. So, so she always supported you all in this, in she this did, crazy yeah. journey. Yeah, neither of them particularly encouraged us to do it, but they definitely supported us, yeah. And you, you just painted a wonderful picture of you sort of being down there at the circuit with your dad. And it sounds like you had a fantastic, have had a fantastic relationship with him. So at that time, did he sort of encourage you to get into sort of motor racing and things? Because, it, again, it must have been an even more male-dominated world back then. No, no. I mean, they did buy me road bikes and help me get bikes on the road and stuff like that. But they didn't never encourage us to race and i think like they both looked a bit scared when both me and my brother said we wanted to do the manx grand prix and they were both like right okay but can't really stop you so you know but they did help us in every way that they could and you to must do it and you must have learned a lot from him assuming he'd let you get involved when he was out with the bikes as well did you get your hands dirty uh yeah yeah we used to help him we used to get up like you know for early morning practice and help him push the bike up through scrutineering and I used to do all these stickers. I like used to hand cut them all out of sheets of Fablon. You know, my dad never got stickers printed. I had to make them for him and stuff like that. So, yeah, we we you know I've done pretty much every every side that there is in motorcycle road racing, to be honest. <laughs> Which is amazing. And you mentioned the stickers, and we'll come to that a bit later because obviously you are also very much into design, which people may or may not know. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, but w would you describe yourself then at that time as a tomboy? Yeah, yeah, I was definitely a tomboy as a, a kid, yeah. I was the one climbing trees and falling out of them and falling off, you know, doing wheelies on my brother's BMX. And I always remember really badly winding myself because I landed badly and I landed on the handlebars. And yeah, I was definitely never a girly girl. <laughs> that Sounds like me. no fear as well by the sound <laughs> of things. Well, I think kids are like that though, aren't they? You know, they just... Uh, Go ahead. Well, most do. Mine do. <laughs> well, I've loved, obviously, the, one of the things that we do on the show is you share music as well. And so we ask our guests to send in uh, five pieces of music. <laughs> uh, you managed 10. Yeah, Karen. yeah. I could have I sent you about 500 probably. <laughs> but yeah, I was really, really struggling to whittle it down. So I thought I'd give you some options. <laughs> and I've got to tell you, over the course of the next hour, they are fabulous. And I think one of the reasons I say that is because a lot of them are from my era, which is great because <laughs> I've been sort of bopping away listening to these as I've been putting these together. So because Carolyn has chosen the 10 songs, but we've only got the five spots for them, what I've done, and please don't hate me for this because I know you're very precious about these songs, but I have <laughs> taken a little bit of each of the songs and sort of put them together in pairs. Okay. okay. So uh, I've given you a list of what they are. Mm -hmm. So tell us what the first pairing is and why. The first pairing is Led Zeppelin, Immigrant Song and Black Sabbath, War Pigs. Um, two songs, two really good songs from my childhood that I grew up listening to. My mum and dad were, you know, they were really into their late 60s, 70s rock and, and you know, that's what I grew up with and that's what I, I still love to this day. So two of my favourites. 
And they're really, really good meaty songs to start with. Uh, Carolyn Sell's first choice of music. Destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds What a fantastic first choice. And we, we're sorry, we were just chatting in the background there, which is why I didn't come quite uh, in quite soon enough there. And Carolyn Sells, the reason we were chatting, there's two reasons. First of all, we were talking about that Sabbath song um, and you were saying how it means a lot to you. Tell us why. Um, yeah, I just, I mean, the whole thing, war pigs, you know, it's very, it's anti-war. It's, it's all about how the governments like to peddle war and send people in, you know, they send the masses and... It's something I feel quite strongly about, to be yeah. honest. Yeah, well, so. I'm right with you there. And uh, also, you just divulged a little bit of information <laughs> which uh, which links you to Led Zeppelin. Please tell us about that. Yeah, I, I meant to look it up beforehand, but the guy who designed uh, Led Zeppelin 3 album cover actually marked my dissertation when I did my fine art degree. So, oh And he gave word. me a 2-1 as well, which is good. That's fantastic. <laughs> what was your dissertation about? Um... <laughs> <laughs> it was about the influence of drugs in visual uh, 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 imagery. <laughs> and to be fair, there's a lot of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly in music as well. So, yeah, very yeah. much so. Well, we'll come to your uh, artistic background a little bit later on in the show. Uh, but we are on the Conister Rock with Carolyn Sells today. It is now just coming up to 18 minutes past two. We'll be speaking much more with her after the break. Men's Radio. Women Today. 
Uh, you are listening to Women Today. It's just gone 20 minutes past two and we are on the Conister Rock with Carolyn Sells this afternoon. And Carolyn, uh, we've just been talking a little bit about your early life with your family and everything. It sounds like they, they really encouraged you to be adventurous. And uh, I love uh, the story you tell in your bike and also the photo you sent through of a, a family holiday through Europe, but a, a family holiday with a bit of a difference. Tell us about that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. we went round Europe for about, I think it was about three and a half weeks, something like that, on a Norton ES2 and sidecar that my dad built. <laughs> that is amazing. What age were you when that happened then? I think it was about 10, I can't, uh, around about that age, nine or 10, something like that. Um, yeah, I, at the time, I just remember being squashed up in the sidecar with all the stuff, <laughs> camping, because we're camping everywhere. And it was really, really tight and it was really uncomfortable. And so there was many things that I didn't enjoy about it, but it was it was an amazing journey. You yeah. must have come back with some fantastic stories for your friends. What did they all make of it? Oh, I can't remember, to be honest. Um, you know, a lot of people will have seen seen us and have seen the sidecar and the bike and stuff. But um, we, I think we managed to break down in just about every country that we, we visited as well. So, <laughs> Which gave you good standing and grounding for being able to deal with, you know, a bit of spannering on the move. <laughs> yeah, I didn't do any spannering in those days, I have to say. But um, no, it was, it, was, it was a fantastic trip. It really was, yeah. So we, we went and stopped to uh, watch the um, Grand Prix at uh, Brands Hatch on the way. Fantastic. on the way out as well so um yeah so do you, i'm assuming then from these different experiences you always had that sort of you know almost like oiling your blood really you must have just always had that yearning to do something with bikes yeah yeah you know dad, dad had them dad raced well had bikes since before i was born you know and he was the only one in his family that did uh and you know mum used to go out on the back of him before they were married and things like that so yeah it's always you know, and I'm a, my mum and all the sisters all married bikers, to be honest. So it's kind of all in all in in the family now. So, <laughs> and speaking of family as well, we do ask um, our, our guests to mention people that are inspirations to them. And your nan sounds like the most remarkable woman. You mentioned her as being her and your grandmother, but you said your nan in particular was was an inspiration for very good reason. From what you said about her, tell us about her. <laughs> uh, well, well, my granddad uh, had. Mum's dad got injured in the war and, and anyway he ended up having a brain hemorrhage in his 30s when my mum and the, uh, all the sisters and brother were quite young so my nan had to raise them all sort of single-handedly really whilst looking after Jack as well so and there were six of them that she had to raise six yeah, children yeah mum's one of five sisters and a brother my word. So, uh, and my dad's mum, she lived in Ireland and she actually came over here when she was about 16, 17 and worked as a housemaid up at Stella Maris um, and and then ended up in England and built herself up uh, quite a few businesses and stuff. So two, two strong women in the, in the uh, grandparents. <laughs> and to be fair, because you mentioned that you find strong women an inspiration, considering what you have achieved in your life, you must, even sort of from the outside looking in, would you consider yourself a strong woman then? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you sort of have to be to do what you've done really, don't you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, uh, yeah, I definitely am. I'm 
Yeah, it's a good thing to be embraced as well. Uh, you mentioned your grandmother coming over here. Uh, it was your father that, that took you to the Isle of Man for the first time, wasn't it? Uh, yes, it was. Yeah, I mean, gosh, grandma was here probably in the 30s, I think it was. So, and then she settled in Southport and had her children over there. So, yeah, my my mum and dad used to come over here when we were babies. They used to come over and see the TT and stuff. And then, obviously. Um, when once we were, we turned up, Dad started racing, and then in 1985 he raced over here for the first time at the Manx. So that's where we started our annual holidays as a family. <laughs> and what do you remember of that? Um, lots of things. The first couple of years weren't great. There was a lot of rain and wind. I think it was 1987. There was Hurricane Charlie. I think. Oh my word. Yeah. So uh, we got blown off the, the the paddock pretty much, really. So, but I loved it. You know, I used to love coming, and it's about the only time I like getting up at five o'clock in the morning and sitting in pit lane with a hot chocolate from the Hillwood Centre and watching watching practice. Because it's a very different thing, circuits to road racing, isn't it? And how did your dad do with that sort of transition? Did he enjoy it? Yeah, yeah. Well, like I suppose he's like me, really. He always rode probably too fast on the road, anyway. So he was kind of born to be a road racer, you know. And you, but you have to do the circuits before you can do the roads. Um, and also it was money and stuff like that, you know. Dad started it as a bit of fun, and 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 then in the eighties, you know, he got to the point where he he wanted to have a go around here and that's where I grew up watching and you know thinking one day I'm gonna have a have a go at that <laughs> and how successful was he as a, as a racer over here then um you know he did pretty well it was usually machinery that let him down <laughs> <laughs> Always but racing classic bikes that's what happens isn't it so <laughs> classic and vintage bikes he raced mostly back in those days so they're not the most reliable of things and uh, speaking of bikes, do you remember your very first bike? Tell us what that was. Um, my first bike was an RD50 that I had on the road at the age of 16. Um, my brother had a few bikes that like, uh, I had a go on. I think his first bike was a TS125 that mum and dad got him and we used to ride it around the back garden. And um, I nearly crashed it into the greenhouse one time because I didn't know where the brakes were. <laughs> Good job you learnt that pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, I had to bail off. <laughs> <laughs> and were you, was it your pride and joy your first bike then? Um, the, the RD, yeah, I loved it. Yeah, yeah. but it wasn't. It was noisy. You could hear me coming for quite a while. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, me, that's no bad thing. Uh, so we're going to go to your second music choice. In case you just tuned in, tuned in, we are talking to Carolyn Sells this afternoon, and and because there were ten choices, we've sort of coupled them together. Mm -hmm. So uh, tell us about the next two tracks, Carolyn. Okay, so it's Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon. And the doors, riders on the storm. Uh, again, too from my childhood. I love, I love them. I love the, you know, I just I, the music I grew up with, and I still like listening to now. So. And obviously, Dark Side of the Moon being the album, you had to just. I'm sorry, I've just chosen something for you from it. I hope it's okay. <laughs> uh, so I've chosen one of the sort of quieter ones because to contrast in a way. Okay. Yeah, and, and I like this. Yeah. So we've got Breathe. So we're going to play that for you now, and okay. uh, also the Doors Riders on the Storm. Around you. 
Do you know what I have to say, Carolyn? It seems like a travesty cutting these songs short. I'm so sorry, but we've got to fit in chat with you. That's what today is all about. And uh, before we come to a question that's just come in, uh, we were chatting before we came on air and uh, you clearly are a music fan. As we said, you found it very difficult to cut down your choices to just five, as I would as well. Uh, but uh, you, you spent a lot of time going to music festivals and you did what I always wanted to do and you went to Glastonbury in the 90s as well, didn't you? Yeah, I went a few times actually to Glastonbury. The first time me and my cousin hitched down uh we, well we hitched down to bristol and then we got a bus and then we walked all the way around the outside and went to the back to the travelers fields where my auntie was staying in a bus because she used to live in a bus oh what an experience and, uh, a proper hippie your experience. family are quite interesting <laughs> <laughs> yeah you could say that <laughs> so yeah yeah amazing experience up, up at the back with the TP fields and everything oh. so yeah a good time to go because I think it's changed a lot in the past sort of 10 years or so hasn't it yeah and it changed even while I was going 95 was another year that I went and I think that was the year that they pulled the wall down in one of the fields when I was there um, and that was good and that was the first year they had the dance tent there, there from Voodoo as well I think loads of people from Voodoo went um, and then 97 but that was a horrible year it was so wet you know, just walking oh, around. You in, experienced oh, wet Glastonbury. Oh. Yeah, it was pretty rubbish and security was getting tighter. So I preferred it when it was a bit more of a free festival. <laughs> I can imagine. Well, you mentioned dance and we do have a couple of excellent uh, dance trans- tracks coming up a little bit later as well. But I will come to this question now. Uh, Gail has messaged in to say, ask Carolyn who she admires as a female racer and why. Also her best memory as a club racer. Um, a female racer's got to be Jenny Timmouth, I would say. Mm-hmm. She's just so lovely. She's so unassuming. She's not big-headed in the slightest. She is fast. She's the fastest woman around here. You know, what she does at the British Superbikes is amazing. She's just, mm-hmm. just a really, really nice girl, and she's super fast. And really so, talented. Yeah, well. so yeah. talented. Yeah, she's, what about, she's nice. What about male racers then? Who do you appreciate in that sort of side? And I mean, obviously, for their racing talent. <laughs> <laughs> um, it'd have to be John McGuinness, to be honest. You know, and he's the same. He's just, you know, such a good racer. He's amazing to watch around here. He's, the you know, the master after Joey, really. And... And totally unassuming and normal with it, you know, which I like about people. <laughs> and it's interesting that because you mentioned Joey, what does it mean to you and what does it feel like having been given that title, whoever it was that gave you to you, Queen of the Mountain, when you've got Joey as King of the Mountain? <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a, an article written by Roger Willis, I think. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's good. I don't maybe, know. Maybe there'll I be think... a statue up there for you one day. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think Jenny is pretty... She's like queen of the mountain as well. She's, you know, fastest round here. So I don't think I hold that title alone. <laughs> oh, well, uh, also, Gail wanted to know, what is your best memory as a club racer? Oh, I don't know. Uh, I think uh, one of the funniest memories I have was when I was racing one year on my birthday. 
um, which is the 6th of May, and I was racing at Cadwell Park. And uh, I face-planted pretty badly at the hairpin. <laughs> oh, dear. But when I stood up, there was about four or five other guys, because it was quite damp. There was quite a few of us had gone down. And they all stood and sang happy birthday to me. <laughs> <laughs> while you were on the ground. Yeah, while I was, like, <laughs> wobbling around and didn't really know which way I was facing or anything. All I could hear was happy birthday. <laughs> so that, that kind of still makes me chuckle. <laughs> that is a good memory. And I love that you obviously just you just get back on, don't you, and carry yeah, on. Nothing, yeah, Nothing stops so. you. Uh, so speaking of racing then, what was your first race and what do you remember of it? My first race was in uh, 2000 on April the 27th at Jerby, um, up at Jerby. And <laughs> it was quite a baptism of fire, to be honest, because in my first race, um, I got knocked off and knocked out at the at the chicane. <laughs> Somebody had come off, Richard Murphy came off his bike behind me and because I was going through the chicane, his bike went straight on and took me out. And I face planted again. I don't. It didn't happen that many times, but <laughs> twice in one conversation. I face planted again and got knocked out. And um, when I when I came to, I tried to get up, and the marshal was on my back trying to hold me down. And I get quite claustrophobic in my helmet, so I was kind of like, "Oh, I can't breathe. Let me up." But oh. they didn't want me to get up until somebody had checked me over. So, <laughs> so that was your first race. And that was my first race. Yeah, yeah. and, and went I on to do very back. big things. You yeah, know, but it, but in a very good way. Um, we talked about how you travelled uh, the UK and coming over here as well with your dad, and mm -hmm. you used to sort of help him out. Did he help you out at all? Any spannering? Yeah. For you? Oh yeah. yeah. No. Um, dad got my first. Uh, well, the first time I raced was on my dad's bike. Um, so that was his bike that I got that I crashed off um, and I raced on that two times that year and then I raced on another girls 400 for the endurance race at the end of that year so they did the three f three meetings and then after racing on the 400 because I was racing on my dad's 250 or 350 I think um, two stroke I decided that I would be happier on a, a 400 four stroke which is what I had on the road as well so dad actually got my first bike for me and uh, it it was supposed to be race ready but it wasn't it still had footrest and things like that on it so we had to turn it into a race bike and the two of us did that and and did the first couple of years on, on that bike so and that's the bike I rode the first year in the Manx with a bit of backing from Martin Bullock so fantastic and and did it because obviously we've mentioned before you've been in, in a number of races together and mm -hmm. did you i believe you, you you passed him in the 2009 i did race yeah the win. <laughs> what what did he make of that and was he very competitive with you uh well yeah dad is quite competitive yeah but he he wasn't enjoying that race he had um, a honda rs 250 i think that year which um oh was that that year either anyway um he wasn't and it was very windy that day and it was quite wet in places and stuff like that and he just wasn't really enjoying it and I passed him up at Bungalow Bridge um yeah uh, and I think he decided to pull in after that because just the wind kept picking him up and blowing mm. him about on the little 250 it's it's not fun so he decided to pull in but I Obviously, he's quite glad about that now because he, he got to see me win the race. So, <laughs> And what a win. And it's interesting because reading a little bit about it, 
it, it proves it's not just about being fast, is it? And you just mentioned the conditions then as well, but there's a real element of strategy to racing, isn't there? Definitely, yeah. There's yeah, you've got to think about your strategy. You've got to, you know, you've always got to have the end goal in sight rather than you know, it's not the Alaman the T T course isn't somewhere where you go charging into the first corner like you do at short circuit and and that's the person who, you know, stands a good chance of winning. It's all about being consistent, about being smooth, about, you know, knowing what your end goal is and just, you know, being focused on that really, rather than, you know, all out and let's go for it so yeah. i think and you probably won't end up getting to the end i think if you if you do that will you <laughs> no. so tell us about your next uh, two choices of music then carolyn okay so um i've chosen l7 pretend that we're dead and uh, faith no more from out of nowhere which are two of my favorites from my sort of late teens early 20s fantastic choices both Again, amazing choices, Carolyn. And I have to say, uh, I am really finding it difficult to cut them off as much as we're having to. But the, the chat's brilliant as well. As has been noted uh, by Mark Hurd, who just messaged in to say, I just wanted to say that all productivity has stopped for an hour here in our motorcycle spares business in South London. I'm a mad fan of the TT and Manx GP and the Isle of Man generally. Really enjoying the fascinating interview with a class mountain course rider. Uh, and the great music choice is a bonus. So that's from Mark. Oh, thank you, Mark. Hello to Mark. Glad you and the team are enjoying it. Thanks very much for your message. And you have seen a number of these bands. We're talking about the great music. Mm. You've seen L7 and Faith No More, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen L7 a few times. Faith No More. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm very jealous. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> we will have plenty more chat with Carolyn coming up after the next break. But it's just coming up to 20 minutes to three now. Let's break. Women Today. You are listening to Women Today. We're on the Conister Rock today with Carolyn Sells, who, as we mentioned at the top of the show, 
is a Guinness World Record holder. <laughs> and that is because uh, she is not only the only woman to win Southern 100 race, but also Manx Grand Prix road races as well, which is an incredible achievement. And we met, we alluded to the Manx Grand Prix race, the 2009 race before. Um, what did that feel like to be that woman winning that race? Uh, amazing. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, it was. I mean... I, I was really, really together, to be honest, through the whole race, because I, I took the lead at the end of the second lap. I was in third at the end of the second lap, and then I took the lead. And um, I just, I can't, I, I still can't believe now that I kind of held it together, you know, because that is something I only ever dreamed about doing. And obviously I wanted to do it, but um, I just talked myself around for the second two laps, just like constantly talking to myself, telling myself to keep calm and talking to the bike, asking it not to let me down. And, you know, and I managed to hold it all together until I went over the line. And then I just turned to jelly and started crying and shouting and wobbling. And yeah, yeah, just, pretty much a mess. Just <laughs> brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And and what it because you've raced on so many different courses mm-hmm. um, over the time. What is it that is so special then about the mountain circuit? Oh, it's just, there's nothing else like it. There's nowhere else that you go so fast for so long, you know, and the different terrain, you're going through villages and through trees and banks and over the mountain, you know, there's just nothing else like it. Not even, you know, the shorter roads like the Southern and stuff, they're they're great, but they're just, it's just, you know, it's just amazing, really. And obviously, and obviously the Southern is a very different beast, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, the Southern, I, I, I think, is like more like the Irish roads. You know, it's narrower, it's bumpy, it's fast. I love it. Don't get me wrong, I do love it. Um, you know, but with the mass star and the narrower, you know, it, it's, it is a different animal to the, the TT course. OK, so I have to ask you then... Why did you decide to retire before doing the TT itself? Was it never actually in your kind of uh, remit to do that or did you, did you make a conscious decision, no, I'm going to stop now? I wanted to do the TT. In fact, um, in 2008, I was lying third when I crashed out of the Manx. Um, but my goal at that point was if I'd have got on the podium that year, then I would have gone and tried to have a go at the TT the, the following year. Um because I did apply to do TT in 2004 on a production bike, but they turned my entry down. Really? So, yeah, on a 600 it was, but I hadn't ridden a 600 anywhere at that point. So um, I went back to the Manx and rode the 600 and did 109 on it and, you know, did quite well that year. So anyway, yeah, to the, the but my goal was always to finish in 2009. So I didn't want to race any longer than that. Um, so when I fell off and then I fell off and realised that I was in third at the time and, you know, and I thought, well, I can't not have another go at it. So um, I went back to the Manx and had another crack at it. So it kind of all worked out in the end. So I had to, but I never did the TT and I never did the Ulster and the two things that I wish I'd had a go at, but you know, you've got to be happy with your lot sometimes, haven't you? So. Well, considering what you've achieved, I would say yes, very much. So. <laughs> and you are obviously involved in coaching now. Yeah. Um, what can you even say to a newcomer, really, to prepare them for the mountain circuit? Um, it's a tough one, you know, it depends on their experience. It depends how much they know about it. You know, I find it hard to fathom people who come over here and have never been here before and stuff like that. I have no idea what that feels like because I grew up coming here for a long time before I ever ever raced it you know so I had a good idea what I was entering into so 
I do have a lot of admiration for people who come over from far distant countries and can't just pop over and have a quick go around the circuit, you know. So what we do when we're teaching is, you know, we take them for laps, lots and lots of laps, talk the circuit. We don't get into too many details, too excruciating detail initially because you, you, they've got to get a feel for the, the circuit before anything else will start to sink in. So you've really got to gauge it depending on who you're talking to, how much experience they've got, how well they know the circuit, you know. Because at the so. end of the day, I suppose, with road racing, they are public roads, so it's not like you can come over and practice all the time. No, no, you can't. You have to go around in a car, which isn't, you know, it's completely different to mm-hmm. doing it on a bike. But the the biggest thing is learning your lefts from your rights. If you, you know, if you've never raced here before, you you want to know where the circuit goes first and then you can start thinking about whereabouts on the circuit you want to be and you know so it's 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 a progression there's a brilliant video i can't remember who it is now it's a brilliant video with a, a rider sort of and he's got his eyes closed and he's talking through mm-hmm. the whole circuit and you can sort of see him sort of moving as he's talking yeah. through it's a wonderful <laughs> thing to see um i have to ask you you do have young daughters six and two threes as we talked about yeah. earlier uh, what would you say if they came running in one day and said i want a bike oh uh well ria did talk about it uh, a little while ago she said she wanted an osset but she seems to have gone off that idea now because she says she doesn't want to hurt herself. So. Are you a bit relieved? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't mind. I mean, I don't mind them being a bit daredevil, you know, and kids doing kids stuff like trials and things like that is brilliant for them. So um, obviously it would frighten the life out of me now because they're only six and, you know, and three and, and the other one's three as well. Bit young yet. Yeah, a bit yeah. young yet. But, you know, if they were 18 and they'd been racing and done other stuff, you know, I'd probably feel a bit differently about it. But they're always your kids, aren't they? They're never, never going to stop being my kids. So, And they're little individual human beings at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, so let's hear your next uh, two choices of music crammed together. <laughs> uh, yeah, the next two are Future Sound of London, Papua New Guinea and The Orb, Little fluffy interesting and beautiful choices
We are both massive fans of this song, Carolyn. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Uh, Little Fluffy Clouds. It's just a gorgeous piece of music. Uh, we did allude earlier. We're nearly out of time, so we're going to have to rush through, unfortunately. We did allude earlier to the fact that uh, there is a whole different side to you. Because, yes, on the Isle of Man, a lot of people know you as the racer. But you are a designer. Yeah, yeah. And when I say designer, you've been involved in film and TV and all kinds of things, haven't you? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, um, I did um, I did the arts at college um, and then when I finished my degree, I was doing a bit of stage and, and set design and stuff. And then I ended up making a music video with some friends for another friend's band. And, uh, and then from that, uh, I saw an advert in the job centre one day, which was really bizarre, uh, for a job as an art di- uh, as a it was for a runner on Hollyoaks the TV <laughs> program. And you know, like to see something like that in the job centre was really bizarre. So I applied for that and I got onto that and then progressed from that doing standby props to art director. I've production designed a, a film, a short film. So yeah, I did quite a lot. I did ten years in the um, in the TV and film industry, doing stuff all over the place. So that's yeah. amazing. And now you work <laughs> for Lifestyle Furniture, so that's again something entirely different. Yeah, I do all their displays. Um, I really love working there. You know, the fantastic people to work for and work with. Um, so yeah. I, lo- I love it. I have to say as well, though, uh, you are in the middle of something that's a bit bonkers to do with houses. Tell mm-hmm. us what you're what you're doing right now. <laughs> um, uh, we're still in the well. We've built. I've designed and built two extensions onto my little two up, two down cottage. My other half, Roger, has done the building, and I've done all the designing and. So, yeah, designed everything from scratch, pretty much. Gosh, so. that is just crackers. And you love the idea of restoration as well. Is there a particular property over here that you'd always love to get your hands on and do something with? Yeah, I'd love to get my hand on Eric Brigazzi's house, which is at the bottom of the Bala Hutchin, going up out oh. of Union Mills. He's got a lovely big um, villa there, like, you know, and it, I love it. God, brilliant. From- <laughs> I remember saying it once to Richard Bugatti and he was like, no, there's no way that he'll ever let go of that house. <laughs> I'd love to get my hands on that. Or Greba Castle, that's up for sale at the minute, but I haven't got a million pounds. So. That is a beautiful building. Yeah. We've got a lot of good ones over here. <laughs> so, Okay, so if you had to choose then, if you went back to the start and you had to choose mm-hmm. between the bike side or the sort of creative industry side and oh. you have to, what would you choose? Oh, no. <laughs> Uh, I can't. I can't possibly. <laughs> that was mean, wasn't it? Yeah, really that mean. That was mean. Yeah, okay, no. if someone is listening, Carolyn Sells, right now, and they are, they've always been thinking about doing the course, doing the mounting course, mm-hmm. what advice would you give them? Uh, my advice would be to do some road racing first, probably. For your average, road, for your ad- average racer, you know, at, at Manx Grand Prix level, I would say do some road racing first would be my my best bit of advice I think um it's different when you're talking about professional races at the TT and stuff like that but yeah and I have to say as well obviously your fiance Roger also an ex-racer too Mm -hmm. how much time do you spend talking about bikes uh not very much (laughs) these days actually (laughs) we both look no not not these days more about the kids yeah (laughs) (laughs) well Carolyn Sells it's been an absolute joy talking to you today uh we've we've got the final two crammed together of your music choices okay we may and when I get the second one in but tell us what they both are anyway well Faithless God is a DJ and this is my church and uh energy 52 
to Café Del Mar. Excellent. Well, if you've missed any part of today's programme, we will, of course, put the listen again on the blog afterwards and there will be a video clip on the portal too. Uh, in the meantime, Carolyn, thank you so much. Thank you, Christine. Thank you. For tonight, God is a DJ. For tonight, God is a DJ. today.